0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Yo, what's up, Landry Football family? This is Sky back with the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast streaming live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash football. For the TCK Potters out there, welcome back to the program. Episode 242 of the tck pod and episode seven of the tck pod on the landry football network today is wednesday we know what that means our good boy chris benavides all the way from the other side of the country coming in hot from the commish fantasy football podcast chris great to have you back
0: thanks man looking forward to another wednesday let's do this thing
1: excellent so we just got official word that i believe that chris you know barring the occasional uh cancellation with something coming up unforeseen chris will be joining us as many wednesdays consecutively as possible so we're very very excited to have you on the program routinely you and i have done plenty of episodes on each other's channels over the last year or so uh but i'm excited to have you on with some frequency i think we're gonna have a great time with that and i know that the candlestick kids and the tck potters on our side love having you on i'm really excited to bring the rest of your crew on too eventually if you have to miss a day Maybe Alex, Eric, or Josh can step in in your place because I'd love to get their perspectives also, but uh, it's always a pleasure, man. Let's jump right into it today. We got a lot to cover, and we got to squeeze it into an hour, so let's get right into it. We are going to pick up our wide receiver rankings. Now, Chris, just take one minute off the program here, and first of all, let us know where we can find the Commish FFP materials, but also... Um, Let us know you guys just dropped on your side your consensus rankings for multiple positions, but specifically for this episode your wide receivers. What did you learn from that when you took the consensus of your team, not just your own personal rankings? And of course, we will get into uh, the comparison from TCK Pod and the commission FFP. So first of all, who are you? Where can our, yeah. our listeners find you? Where can the Landry team find you? And um, what did you learn from digging into consensus rankings with the rest of your team instead of just your individuals?
0: Yeah, sure, man. So yeah, thanks for the intro. Uh, yeah, So anyone checking us out can go find us over on all the major platforms for podcasts. So Google, uh, Apple podcasts, and of course, Spotify. So the commission fantasy football podcast, you can also go find us over on Twitter and Instagram at the commission FFP. And we do have a website, www.thecommishbrand.com. You can check out all our articles and videos as well as our fresh merchandise. So I highly implore everybody, go get yourself some swag and also sign up to the newsletter. We drop it every Tuesday, all fantasy football and relevant content around the league. Cause obviously, Everything that's happening with COVID uh, and player sit-outs, drop-outs, who gets COVID, who doesn't, any updates that the league, continues to monitor, happens very quickly. And so we try to do our best to recap not just fantasy football, but things that will impact the season as a whole uh, as it continues to, to go on. So, so that's where you can find us. Um, and then to the second part to your question, um, dude, so I found it – I found a very interesting um, – uh, not experience, but like an exercise, I'd call it. Right, so we have four people—you know, four people on our team. So myself, Alex, Eric, and Josh, um, and we go through certain episodes where we sort of break down our ECR rankings. But it's really interesting to see where each of us have our rankings and who's bullish and or, or and or fading other players. But in the end, I feel really comfortable that our set of rankings kind of reflects what I always felt would be sort of the outcome of the season. Uh, you know, pending a few swings here and there, but I do feel comfortable in that like the narratives that support each of, you know, the bullish picks or the bearish picks uh, are pretty valid. And so, you know, these are things that could potentially happen and, and you know, we'll discuss that on our end, you know, between, you know, what the TCK team came up with and what the commission team came up with. But in general, I found it to be a fun exercise with our team and we were, it's, you know, it's fun to listen to why guys have, you know, people ranked in certain spots o- over others.
1: That's awesome, man, and we learned a lot, too, on our side, and, and of course, the last two days, I've been breaking down quarterbacks and running backs as well, and uh, Lucas has been out this week um, due to some power outages on his side in the Midwest, yeah. so a lot of storms all over the place. I know last time you were on, we talked about it up in the East Coast and down South, of course, as well, so wishing everybody well, um, but I've been rolling those episodes solo, and I've learned quite a bit as well, because again, Lucas and I talk about our rankings and players all the time, but we don't share them Specifically until we have an episode so that we have like kind of the the raw data and uh, it was interesting to catch you know how I thought he felt on a guy versus how I felt on a guy then we get the numbers on a page and it turns out that he's higher than like Baker Mayfield came up for example. He's higher on Baker than I am, actually. And I am kind of the the House Browns fan and he's fading. Yeah, sure. So I thought that, that was real that was really interesting, you know. And likewise, uh, J.K. Dobbins. I'm super bullish on J.K. Dobbins. Lucas, I didn't think was so much, but definitely liked him. Turns out Lucas had him like six spots higher than I did. So I think it's mm. important that you you look at you look at trusty sources, you look at the rest of the landscape to gauge not only where you're at, but in general, just kind of like where the pieces may fall. So Love that. All sure. right, man, let's jump right into this here. You can catch everything, of course, at LandryFootball.com. You can go catch the Commish. You can get their newsletter. It's always chock full of information. Of course, you can find all of our things and the draft guide for the TCK pod at TCKpod.com. All right, brother, let's jump right into this. We are going through our wide receiver rankings. Now, this is based on full PPR, of course, as we always do here on the podcast, unless otherwise noted. And what we've done here is, You've shared your rankings. I've shared my rankings. And we went down the list here and we do are basically just going to cover the guys in depth on, you know, that we kind of significantly, I wouldn't say disagree with per se, but we are separated the most on with rankings in general so you've got a handful of players I've got a handful of players and we're basically just going to make our case uh, for and against certain players here down the list and just kind of read off the rest of our um, rankings as we get going here as well now I will say we do have 40 names on our rankings here but we are only going to cover about half of those guys so for all of our rankings you can go to tckpod.com and uh, you can go check out the commish site as well to get all of those all right bro let's get into this now, right at the top here, we have <laughs> we have uh, some confusion right off the bat. So we talked about yeah. this last week when you came on for a buy or sell. The question for the buy or sell was, buy or sell Michael Thomas repeats as the wide receiver one. Uh, you bought it and handsomely backed him up with a comparison to Antonio Brown of all receivers, and it was pretty hot, right? And then I came over the top and said, I hear you, but I'm going to go with my boy Tay Adams. Well, here sure. we are. So the proof is in the pudding. I'm going to go with yeah. Tay Adams. You're going to go with Michael Thomas. There's not much you can say to my about Michael Thomas at number one to defend your case, but just make it clear why, and then I will. Uh, I'll, I'll give my case for Tay Adams.
0: Yeah. So again, it was similar to uh, again. I'll just kind of bring up the Antonio Brown comparison. Antonio Brown sort of popped off, I believe, in like 2013 or so, where he like really made that leap into like the alpha receiver situation, where he was commanding somewhere in the the realm of like 162. 190 targets and that was for 4 years straight. After that he was the wide receiver 1 and it was not a question as to where you were going to pick Antonio Brown in the drafts coming up. Well, Michael Thomas has seemingly made that jump uh, in the same type of fashion that Antonio Brown has. I don't think he's going to be the wide receiver 1 over the next 4 seasons, but he has gone ahead and made that jump like an Antonio Brown would and and really doesn't have much competition outside of maybe Emmanuel Sanders. I don't think he's going to eat into his share all that much. I think the offense with a healthy Alvin Kamara will continue to dominate. And like I mentioned, that offensive uh, situation in the NFC South is going to be prevalent just because, again, there's not a ton of uh, major defenses in their way. And I do believe it's going to be a high scoring uh, scenario again with just with that division and and the firepower that every team basically has. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I just see it you know, again. We're splitting hairs here. If, if Devontae Adams went ahead and became wide receiver one based on his touchdown upside, I think it's the only knock that I have against Michael Thomas. But again, with, uh, with the amount of attempts and shares that he's going to come in on the Saints offense, I, I hope to see him get into that double digit touchdown realm, which should secure his wide receiver one, uh, you know, uh, stature once again in 2020.
1: As beastly as Michael Thomas has been over, especially the last couple of years, but his career in general, he's never actually exceeded nine touchdowns. So he does need know, to get yeah. into the double. He does need to get into the double digits there. So my case for Devontae Adams. All right, so he leads all wide receivers in touchdowns since 2016. So that's Nuke, the Tulio, Tyreek Hill, Michael Thomas, and the list goes on. He missed four games last year and would have had 1,300 plus yards over 16 games. He's played 27 games over the last two years, and he's scored 16-plus PPR fantasy points in 23 of them. So just four games over the last uh, two years, he has not scored 16-plus um, PPR fantasy points. The Packers didn't add anybody in the receiving core in the draft. We know that. Devin Funchess opts out due to COVID, and uh, Geronimo Allison, kind of a budding star for a second, is now a Lion. MBS we can't count on. Alan Lazard is fun, but we can't guarantee he's the case. In a COVID-type season, I'm going to repeat this constantly down this list, in a yeah. COVID-type season, I know you guys have talked about this on your pod, it's very important that you have rapport between wide receiver and quarterback, specifically on a team and, you know, there's very few combinations in the NFL who are as tight um, physically and mentally as uh, uh, Devonte Adams and Aaron Rodgers. So I love that Devonte Adams is due to get that number one. Uh, he's kind of the number two last year behind Nuke, the number two behind MT this year. I think he jumps that case and gets it. Now, my case against Michael Thomas, if you want to call it against him, is he had 24 more receptions on 38 more targets and 320 more yards than his previous career highs in 2018. So that's a substantial jump in Mm. receptions, targets, and yards for Michael Thomas last year. He had no competition outside of Alvin Kamara and Jared Cook. And now he has Emmanuel Sanders, as we know, coming over for the 49ers. He gets back a healthy Alvin Kamara, who was playing at about 75% last year. turns out that he actually tore his knee, didn't get an operation, but he had high ankle sprain as well. That took him out of the pass game, you know, more so than they wanted to be. He got his 81 receptions that he does every season, but he was on pace to have 100 himself. I think that would have significantly taken down from Michael Thomas. So with the addition of of, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, plus – Um, Alvin Kamara coming back healthy and potentially having a you know a stronger defense and a stronger run game I just think you know Michael Thomas is going to be a beast and you know if you're able to get him in the middle to late first round with all these ridiculous running back drafts then totally awesome I personally am going to just lean with uh, with Devontae Adams here so I'm going to I'm going to stay on my stand on my stool and I'm going to go with uh, my boy (laughs) Tay Adams here so I'm going to go with it all right man let's jump down the list here so The rest of the top eight was actually exactly the same for us as far as the players, but just a different order. So I'm just going to blaze down the list really quick here. So I have Adams, Thomas, Julio, Hill, Godwin, Nuke, Galladay, and Evans as my top eight. You had the same players, but in a little bit of a different order. Michael Thomas, Adams… Hill and Julio switched, Nuke and Godwin switched, and then you had Galladay and Evans as well. So pretty, pretty much the same in the consensus top eight there. So I like that. Let's jump down the list here a little bit though, man. We're going to kind of just switch off throughout this episode to sure. take turns on who we're going to cover here. And basically whoever is higher on a particular player, we're going to kind of give the lead and, and that person's going to go first. The other person can give a retort if they'd like, or we'll move on. We're going to start with you, man. So A lot of these other names here, I mean, Cooper Cup, uh, Juju, um, DJ Moore, Allen Robinson, those guys are pretty much pretty close between, let's say, 9 and 12 for us. But there are some discrepancies right off the bat here. So let's let you start with A.J. Brown. You've got A.J. Brown at 12, and I've got A.J. Brown at 18. I love A.J. Brown. But you've got him inside your top 12, man. Explain.
0: Yeah, so this is an interesting one uh, with respect to – it, it's 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 tough to it's tough to suggest where to start with AJ Brown because off the rip you want to start saying yeah he was super efficient anybody who's a pro AJ Brown guy is like yeah he was super efficient he's gonna continue then you have the people who are against AJ Brown who suggest that he's not gonna be super efficient but what I'd like to do is just kind of go through the numbers and look at more so like an evidence-based argument as opposed to like a gut feel argument. And then maybe that would help us understand as to why I think we have him so high. And then, and then anybody who's against that can say, well, that's not going to happen again in 2020, which is fair. I mean, you, you know, you can make that argument, but we're just going to tell you what, what, it what happened and what, what the story tells based on the numbers, which we, which is pretty much what happened. Right. So, all right, done talking. Let's get into it. The first thing is the QBR rating between Tannehill and uh, A.J. Brown. Everyone kept talking about the efficiency between Tannehill and A.J. Brown. It was similar to Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson. Wrong. It's actually better than Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. The the infamous duo in Seattle, the A.J. Brown-Tannehill argument for efficiency was actually better between them two than Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson. The crazy part is, is that he was even better with Marcus Mariota. Than he was with Tannehill. So between Tannehill and Marcus Mariota, he shared a 123 QBR rating with Tannehill and a 137 QBR rating with Marcus Mariota. He was good for number three in the entire NFL with rating uh, with his both quarterbacks at 132.5. Uh, with and you know again in contrast, the Tyler Lockett Russell Wilson comparison was 124.7. A little a little bit of a regression from the year before, but still pretty high. But still, number three in the NFL, pretty solid in an offense that was scrambling to find their their identity and obviously picked it up in Derrick Henry in the middle of the season. But still had Ryan Tannehill and that passing game with AJ Brown to back it up. Then, if you go look at a bit deeper in terms of his, his production, right? I mean, look, this guy was a rookie last season, right? So number sixteen yards after the catch, which is where a lot of receivers who are, end up in the top ten make a lot of their their you know their money in the fantasy uh, fantasy realm. Uh, Number two in yards uh, per target with 12.5. And then number three in yards per reception at 20.2, which is like just insane efficiency, right? Now here's, I think this is where, I think this is the reason why we have him in the top 12. Last season, he only played about 72.3% of snap share, okay? In the first nine games, he only played 60% of snaps. So like he really wasn't on the field for half the season for half the time. But in the last seven games, he played 88.3% of his snaps where he averaged 186 uh, 18.6 fantasy points per game on average in his last half of the season, where he just dominated. He ended up dominating guys. Like, I mean, he really got kind of clamped by guys like uh, Jalen Ramsey. By the end of the year, he was making guys like Marshawn Lattimore look like fools. Right? So I think the idea here is that AJ Brown, what you would normally see in, uh, in, in a wide receiver two one makes a jump from season to season. He made that jump in midseason, and we watched it happen. He got more playing time. He became more efficient. He understood how to read cornerbacks, even good ones, and and was able to maintain a solid QBR rating between Tannehill and Mariota. That switch that happened in the middle of the year, all the while, you know, still still being able to to keep his production. So, why do I say all that? I say all that because the environment. Uh, in Tennessee, hasn't changed all that much. They're still going to be led by Derrick Henry. So I do foresee uh, you know teams trying to stop the run first, which is going to leave A.J. Brown to have the efficiencies that he enjoyed in, in 2019. Does it happen without Derrick Henry? Probably not. But that is part of the factor, and it's a major part of that equation, which is, I think, why we have him making that giant leap into the top 12.
1: I like it, man. And that's a great case for him. And again, I don't dislike AJ Brown at all. I am one of those people that while I don't think he's going to sink in uh, efficiency and production by any means, I do think it regresses a little bit just because naturally it's a huge, huge number. I think it was, he, you know, led the league. I think it was what, 20, 20.1 or something yards per uh, reception or something insane, uh, which is great. I mean, some receivers, you know, Deshaun Jackson was very high for his career and everything else. My concern, I guess, is just the flow of that offense in general. You just mentioned yeah, that he was yeah. actually better. He was just better with Marcus Mariota, who's now obviously a Raider. Um, so I like AJ Brown a lot, but I just can't seem to put him over Calvin Ridley, Woods, Thielen, OBJ, DK, even. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna fade AJ Brown it's, a it's, little bit. But yeah,
0: yeah. I was just gonna no, say, like to be fair to your point, it's definitely it's just a volume argument, right? If he doesn't get the volume, his stats look the same, but if his volume goes up man, this guy's going to look nice.
1: Yeah, and I I totally agree with you. And if he does get the volume and he keeps the efficiency, he's going to be a beast. I totally agree with you. What this tells me, though, Chris, when I look at your ranking of him at 12 and mine at 17 or 18, this tells me that just hypothetically, if we're in a draft, you are willing to pick him as your wide receiver two off the board. And let's say, I mean, the the wide receiver 12 is probably going to go off the board in what, the early third round? And... I'm more putting him in maybe the back of the third round, maybe the fourth round for wide receivers. So if you're able to do that and he was maybe even your wide receiver one, if you go two running backs heavy, uh, then, you know, I think that's just where we, we we look at apples and oranges, but love A.J. Brown. Um, but I think that that's a, it's a little bit high for me. All right. I'm going to go into my uh, first one here and that's Calvin Ridley. And again, pretty much the same discrepancy here. You had A.J. at 12. I have him at 18. I have Ridley at 13. You have him at 18. So Calvin Ridley prior to getting hurt last season in week 15 Ridley was on pace for 1066 yards and eight touchdowns, which would have basically ended him at wide receiver 14, which is basically right about where I have him. I do think there's a year three uh progression i think he's going to be much better we mentioned it last episode you were on chris that he's kind of quote unquote this year's chris godwin i think it shakes up greatly for him to do that i mentioned last episode how we have uh, Matt Ryan in an even year for whatever reason. He really skyrockets his production. They have a significant running game now, assuming Todd Gurley stays healthy, which I think is going to pull back those linebackers and let um, Ridley kind of feed over the middle there. I love that a lot. Hayden Hurst is all right, um, but I just don't think he's going to command so many more targets away from the wide receivers because they already have that rapport. So I think Calvin really can take a significant jump and maybe, I know they're a year apart, uh, but I do think that maybe your arguments toward A.J. Uh, Brown with the efficiency and the high touchdowns and all these things that people think will regress well in year two, they didn't very much and he got injured, but he was actually on pace to outpace uh, Julio Jones last year before he got hurt. And then Julio took off of course, when he got injured, but I do think Calvin really takes a significant step and you're able to get him basically as your wide receiver three right now. Um, if I went RB heavy in the first two, three rounds, I would happily take Calvin Ridley as a as a wide receiver one if I had to and I had those running backs taken up. So I'm going to take Calvin Ridley significantly ahead of you guys. Is there, I mean, there's a six, you know, or a six spot discrepancy here with Calvin Ridley. Um, you know, let's try to keep these replies to maybe 30 yeah, seconds
0: sure. or less because we got a lot
1: of names. But what is your fate on Calvin Ridley?
0: yeah no I don't uh, to be fair man I actually don't really have too many negative things to say about Calvin Ridley uh was funny I I drafted Calvin Ridley last year as my wide receiver too in one of my drafts and he was great you know for the times that he played and you know he did get hurt so that was kind of an issue but uh yeah I don't know man I think you know I think our margins here are super slim so like you know i we might have him at the at the 18 spot but in my eyes man like these like 20 to like 13 like you know or maybe 19 to 13 they can all be sort of interchangeable in my eyes so I can I do I totally I guess the point is I understand your case for Lee. I don't really have anything against him I just think that offense just heavily flows through Julio and then you know really just kind of gets the scraps off of him that's that's just how I see it
1: fair enough let's jump into Amari Cooper here man you have Amari Cooper at 14 I've got him all the way down at 20 take it
0: away yeah, begrudgingly. I don't really like him here even at the uh the 14 mark. Someone on my team uh has him ranked higher than I did. Um <laughs> not mentioning Rams. Yeah, I gotta be to be fair, man. Like there there isn't much I, I like about the Amari Cooper inside of our top 20. Uh outside of just the fact that he is technically still the wide receiver one on one of the most prolific offenses in the league. I think that's the only thing that we can say about that. I still I would still rather take the Gallup value in later rounds. I still get nervous about the plantar fasciitis. I really don't have anything great to say about the wide receiver 14 on our list, which is crazy to say. Um, I think everyone at this point knows the story of Amari Cooper and the injury scenario. Again, like I said, I, I just really think it's the offensive production on the Dallas Cowboys, and the fact that he's the wide receiver one on that team is why we have him there.
1: Now, just to be clear as we move on here, are these the commish? This is your entire team, and this is your consensus rankings, right? These are not yours personally per se.
0: Yeah, these are not mine. I think I, I you know, to be fair, I should have went back and looked at my rankings. Um, it would take me no, some it's, time it's, to pull it up.
1: It it's fine because these are consensus for us too. I just wanted to be clear because yeah. you know, I, I think it's important for you to say, I mean, you're on the program, you can defend yourself. Your team has them up at 14, but if you had them at say 18 or something, like, you know, make that be known, right? So yeah, I faded I, him. I,
0: I definitely I yeah, certainly. No, I appreciate that point. Yeah, I faded him. I, I think I had him closer back to the back end um. To the back end of the twenty, like the you know, wide receiver nineteen twenty. Yeah, that's right uh, got st- him twenty. And even still, yeah, I'm, I'm still a little nervous about him. So just in general, yeah. I don't really think Mark Cooper is going to be on my team this year. Totally agree. I'll go Gallop all day, and even CD even later yep. than that.
1: Yeah. All right this this one makes me a little queasy, but I just can't figure out how to not have him in my top fifteen, and that's Adam Thielen. I'm not excited about it. I'm not. Excited to draft him. I probably won't even draft him. I know that Lucas is more excited about Adam Thielen than I am, but I've got him at 15. You've got him at 19. Basically, he missed time for the first time in his career last year. He obviously only played 10 games. He posted back to back 1,200 plus yard seasons before 2019. So you got to love that coming back. There's little offseason for Cousins to gain rapport with the others in that offense. And Thielen is familiar, obviously. There's no digs. He's in Buffalo. He was tied for fifth in end zone targets with eight. That obviously matters uh, because those touchdowns are so big. And, yeah. and Adam Thielen, man, like, you know, I actually heard kind of a comparison elsewhere that Cooper Cup is kind of a uh, a hybrid between Jordy Nelson and, and Adam Thielen. Um, Adam Thielen's like a sneaky, super, I mean, he got injured. I get it. But outside of injuries, a super sneaky, very safe floor and somewhat a weekly upside play with Kirk Cousins, who randomly will throw for 404 or three times this season. We just don't know when. Mm-hmm. It all kind of depends on Dalvin Cook. you know. But if Dalvin Cook comes back ready to go, he stays healthy, they run through him, I think those, those, um, those passing attempts are going to stay under 500 as they did last year. But if they don't, Dalvin Cook got hurt two years ago. The Vikings threw o- over 600 times. So I'm not excited about Adam Thielen, but when I look at the rest of my rankings, there's a lot of other question marks all around as well. And I know he's older. I get the injury. I just – he is the bona fide number one target yeah. in this offense. And even with Dalvin Cook, I just – again, like I said with Tay and, and uh, Rogers, Cousins and Thielen are are very connected at the hip. And I, I do believe that he's going to get, if nothing else, enough volume, 100-plus reception, 1,200-plus yards, eight touchdowns. I mean, that's going to be hard to compete for the rest of these guys. So I just think he's not sexy. I might be a little bullish. But I look at the rest of my rankings, I got to put him in the top 15 here. You've got him at 18 faded just a little bit. Do you agree with that, or are you still – are you higher?
0: Yeah, no, I do. Um, so I actually have a question for you, but I'll kind of – I'll maybe even answer it, but I'm curious to hear your take. So so when we do our rankings, and maybe this is just me, uh, and I don't know how other people do theirs, or, and I guess my question is, is, do you also think about this? Like there are, I don't really – try. I try really not to consider injuries as part of – my, my ranking sort of my final ranking list, but mm-hmm. there are like one of the, there's one or two players, every, every sort of 20 block chunk that I sort of get through where like, I have to fade them because of injuries. Like I just can't, I can't, yeah. I matters. can't wrap my mind. Yeah. So like, so my question to you is like, do you like, did you fade Adam Thielen at all for, for that hamstring problem? Um, yeah. like, I, I guess, would you have had him higher? Like maybe even in the top 12, if that hamstring problem wasn't a thing.
1: I actually would have,
0: I actually yeah. had,
1: I had him at 13 and I bumped him down behind Ridley and woods to 15. Yeah. Um, because of the hamstring, he is, you know, above 30. Now I want to be clear about something and I, you know, veteran fantasy players, I think understand this, but new fantasy players maybe hear that like, you know, 28 year old, 30 year old running back is basically like saying he's 45 years old, right? A wide Ooh. receiver is not the same thing. Right, I mean, a wide receiver can be in the prime of their career till you know early mid 30s, like even 33, 35, depending on what yeah. they do. Julian Edelman, uh, AJ Green, assuming he bounces back, um, but Julio Jones as well, and some other guys out there. So, I'm not so much worried about like age yet with Thielen. Um, soft tissue injuries, I'm not excited about because we do see them pop up. However, it being a hamstring. I think he, I mean, he's had the entire offseason to recoup that. He looks good now. Um, I think he's going to be fine. I actually watched an interview with him on a NFL network a few weeks ago and they were just kind of talking about it and he was just kind of shrugged it off. And sometimes you can tell by body language with these guys, if they're like faking it because they should say they're healthy or if like legit, he's like, yeah, dude, like it was an injury and it sucked and I missed time, but I've been rehabbing. I feel great and I'm ready to go, you know, and sure. and I felt good. So a lot of it is, is off season talk, but yes, I absolutely take injury concern with the player um into consideration, but I don't necessarily go crazy on it unless it's a guy like a Dalvin Cook, uh Darius Guys, Carryon Johnson, AJ Green, uh, Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, some of these guys are just hurt every single year. You yeah. have you can you can start really putting that in your rankings. Adam Thielen, like I just said, missed games for the first time in his career last year. Yeah, now we missed six. That's significant. But still, I mean, the top receiver on the team is gone. A rookie is going to be the new guy who doesn't have any time with Cousins. They have two okay tight ends and a running back that may or may not play. So I just, for me, it just, it looks to Thielen, but I'm not excited about him.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'll just wrap it up with this point. Uh, I agree with everything you said. I think the only thing that makes me a bit nervous with Thielen, um, although he did only injure his hamstring, I guess, once last season, out six games, He, he injured it twice last year. So that's the only thing that makes me nervous. He, he came back a little too early. And the only reason why I know this because because like, we had him on our team. We traded for him. We had him in the TCK yeah. league. And <laughs> we were like, all right, we can't wait to play our stud wide receiver. And the fucker just was not – he literally just didn't play. Like we we got wow, him at the um, – yeah. Yep, yep, we got him at the wrong time. And unfortunately, the game that we did play him, he did play for like one quarter and re-injured himself. So, you know, that stuff makes me a bit nervous. So I think that's the only reason we've faded I, him I, slightly.
1: I think – I I. I I hear you on that, and I think that that is a classic case. And I know that you know better than to really dive into that mentally, but that's a classic case of recency bias. That's also a classic case of you yeah. happen to have him on his team. You played him when he was healthy. He burned you a second time, and now yeah. you're just kind of like, I don't like how I'm feeling. You know? like, I feel like that about some other guys as well. It's and very possible. Totally natural.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's But possible. Um,
1: at, at the same time, though, I think it's pretty um, – normal or consistent that player saquon barkley uh alvin Kamara, right like top end best players in the league they get a clearance from a doctor they do the drills properly they rehab for th- three weeks or whatever they get the okay to go they're medically cleared and they go out there they turn once wrong again and boom it pops off right there's other guys who Come back from a torn ACL and now their hamstring is out for the next six months, like Dalvin Cook a couple of years ago. So injuries are injuries, man. Some guys come back from something and they're totally fine the rest of the year. I put it into perspective, yeah. but I don't, I don't let it control my overall rankings. And I'm kind of reluctant to put Thielen in the top fifteen, but OBJ is behind him. Question marks there. DK, who I absolutely love, but I had to fade because I was a little too bullish, I think, on that. AJ Brown, Allen Amari. All these guys have other questions, marks, so i got to go with Thielen. Let's move on here, though, man. I'll let you jump into Tyler Lockett. You've got Lockett at 17. I've got Lockett at 23. And I'm going to dive into DK Metcalf right after you. So uh, I'll kind of awesome. save my take <laughs> for when we could turn over.
0: All right, fair enough. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, interesting. We, we basically have a swap between Lockett and uh, <clears throat> and DK Metcalf, so that's interesting. Um, all right, so I'm actually going to put on my Josh McDonough hat. So Josh and our team is actually the guy. i put on my the- Eric hat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so Josh is the guy who's extremely bullish on, um, on Lockett. I actually had Lockett in outside of my top 20. I think I had him somewhere in the 22 mark, 22 range. Josh has, I'm pretty sure at this point has Tyler Lockett inside of his top 10. So I'm going to make the case per Josh as to why he's so high and which is actually what swung him into our top 20 for our ECR ranking. So this is basically Josh's case. Josh's case is that before Lockett got hurt last year. Now it's when you look at Lockett's overall stat line, if you were just to go to the pro football reference and look at his stat line, I think it shows him having played like, I think all 15 or 16 games in the season and his stat line reads what it reads. Right. But the reality is, is that he actually got hurt in the San Francisco game in week 10. And subsequently after that, he his numbers significantly dropped off the table, right? So like the next four games were just dreadful for for Tyler Lockett, and that included a bye week. So if you look at the previous games before that, his la- his previous nine games, he had fifty nine receptions for seven hundred sixty seven yards, six touchdowns. He's performing better than Julio Jones. He was a wide receiver. He was a top five wide receiver in the NFL last year before he got injured. And if you extrapolated those numbers for the entire season, again pending the injury injury he would have had over 128 targets for 104 receptions, 1400 plus yards and 10 touchdowns. Like the dude was on a historic pace for the entire season um which is, you know, something that not many Seattle receivers outside of maybe Doug Baldwin a couple years back sniff, right, in that offense. And so he was doing it until he got injured and so that I think had impacted his regression um, for the entire year. So, I mean, you know, he, he mastered in a lot of different stat categories. Um, you know, last year he was second highest catch rate among qualified receivers with 74.5%, only bested by Michael Thomas twice in a row. Chris Godwin was behind him last season um, with seventy one sorry 71.1%. You know, I, I really just don't see a scenario. We've talked about this. We talked about this with DK Metcalf. I think Metcalf makes that jump, but I don't think the Seahawks are going to abandon the connection that Lockett and Russell Wilson have. Uh, and so it, to me, it, again, speaking on behalf of Josh here, I think it continues. And I actually do think it does continue to the point where, where Lockett is comfortably a wide receiver to next season. Yeah,
1: fair. And I don't, I mean, I do have him significantly lower than you Tyler Lockett, but that's just because I am super bullish on DK Metcalf and I know Eric's with me. And I mentioned this on our previous episode. Again, we had a buyer sell DK Metcalf. Equals or supersedes uh, Megatron's second season numbers, and frankly, I I bought it, and I had a ten minute rant on why <laughs> I think that was going to happen, which I'll I'll save a little bit, and I'll encourage people to to dive back <laughs> a week to last Wednesday and dive into that episode to hear my take on it. But basically, what it comes down to, man, is I agree that they're not going to let you know get rid of Tyler Lockett by any means, and Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett are constantly historically efficient with each other. Russell Wilson is incredible, dude. Um, I think Kyle Lockett is an excellent receiver as well, but I think so much of that is Russell Wilson. So now we have DK Metcalf in a second season, not coming in as a quote-unquote raw rookie that runs three routes. I mean, the dude's ready to go, and this dude is a man. You know what I'm saying? So now they have two strong weapons, and I think a big part of this is prior to DK Metcalf – coming in and establishing himself. They didn't really have the the full tight end thing because their tight ends always get hurt for some reason. They're bringing Greg Olson, whatever. I'm not yeah. worried about that. But through the passing game, Tyler Lockett was basically like the red zone. He led the, t- he led the league in red zone opportunities, yeah. right? Or uh, red, zone opp- uh, red zone targets. Tyler Lockett led the league, all right? But DK Metcalf led the league in end zone targets. So a little mm. bit different, okay? So red zone targets is between the 20 and the end zone, but that's anywhere within the red zone. End zone targets are in the touchdown itself. So mm-hmm. the most end zone targets in 2019 was yeah. DK Metcalf with 13. He's so huge, so it makes sense. He's, a, he's he's a beast, right? And they had 100. He had 100 targets as a rookie, which is very impressive. Only 58% catch percentage. That goes to him being a raw rookie and all these other things. I get it, bro. Again, if that goes up to 75%, even he's yeah. going to be an animal. During his rookie season, we watched him top 60 yards on nine separate occasions, which was tied for 10th most in the NFL among receivers. He set the rookie record receiving with 160 in a playoff game versus the Eagles. The same narratives. He's a beast. I don't hate Tyler Lockett. I just, we saw a few years ago where it was Doug Baldwin, Doug Baldwin, Doug Baldwin, Doug Baldwin Baldwin and Tyler Lockett. Yeah. And now we've seen Lockett, Lockett, Lockett and DK Metcalf. I think this year just straight up, it's like, you put yep. them both on the field, like Russell Wilson's got, gonna be like Lockett's really good, but DK Metcalf's really good. So, mm.
0: and I, I just think yeah.
1: there's some of those there's some of those things where like there's just gonna be more opportunities. And um Lockett is an incredible receiver, but he I think they're both gonna who are they gonna double cover? Right? No, I, I, I
0: agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, so, so I was just gonna add to your point, right? So I think in, in a way, I think we both like Lockett and DK Metcalf. If I'm hearing yeah. this correctly. I think again, we're, we're, we're off on like where they rank, but in the end we both like them. We're, we're, i put it this way. I'm much more comfortable drafting a Tyler Lockett and a DK Metcalf over, you know, an Amari Cooper at ADP. Just, just, I think everyone at this point is feeling pretty comfortable with that. So, but that being said, so it's interesting. We just had Edwin Porras on um, our, our, well, the episode hasn't dropped yet, but it will drop tomorrow. Uh, and he, we were talking about Chris Carson from, from an injury perspective. Sure. The thing about Chris Carson, and I say that because obviously Seattle has been notably a run first offense and that has handicapped the wide receiver volume from year to year. So we talked about the Chris Carson injury and how that's going to play out. And the interesting part about this is it's not a sure thing that it's going to be something that won't reappear during the season because the hip injury, he forewent surgery which could be a good thing, but it might not be like, we're just not hundred percent sure how Chris Carson is going to rebound from, from that hip injury. Um, And so even Edwin, who's, you know, he's literally a doctor for those of you who don't know uh he's in his medical expertise. He's not, a, he's not sure. Right. So my point is, is if there ever was a season for the, for the Seattle offense to make a jump into like the top 15 of passing with the weapons they have and the, and we call this like the trifecta of tight ends that they have, like, they don't have to lean on one tight end, but they need that position to help spread the field mix in sprinkling a little Chris Carson, sprinkling a Carlos Hyde. This could be a great season for, for Lockett and Metcalf to see some volume.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And Russell Wilson as well. And I've slid, I've slid Russell Wilson up into my number four slot. I had Kyler above him for most of the preseason, sure. but I've, I've got him at number four now behind Dak. And of course, Lamar Mahomes. Mahomes. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you, man. And again, I've got DK at 17, Lockett at 23. You basically have those guys switched in your rankings and, Honestly, we both have them as wide receiver twos. If yep. one of them ends up at wide receiver 12 and the other one ends up at wide receiver 15, like we've seen with Cup and Woods over the years, or, or, uh, you know, Ridley and, and Julio, I would not be surprised at all. So I totally agree with you. We're not sure because there's still this narrative of the Seahawks being a run based offense, but if they start turning Russell Wilson loose, dude, mm. look out. Dude's mm-hmm. going to be a beast. And if they let him throw 40 touchdowns, which he can do with his eyes closed, if they yep. let him do that, then let's give Tyler Lockett 10 to 12. Well, DK Metcalf could easily have that many as well. And this year, I just think that while Lockett may have more receptions, I think overall DK is going to have more yardage and I think just more opportunities to score. And then we'll just see where the efficiency lies. So I think we're kind of agreeing to disagree on this one, but we literally have DK at 17 and Lockett at 17 in in our respective rankings. So I like that a lot. I was excited to talk about that one. All right, man, I'm gonna let you go in on this one here. DJ Chark We talked about him a little bit on the previous episode last week, but for folks that didn't catch it, you have DJ Chark at number twenty. I have him at twenty-one, so we're not different per se in this particular uh, situation. But I know that I think you're actually significantly higher than the rest of your team, if I remember correctly, on DJ Chark. So the commish Crew as as a unit has him at twenty, but I think you're the I think you're the the head of the spear here, man. Uh, Sell me on (laughs) DJ. Sell me on DJ Chark.
0: Yeah. So again, yeah, we did talk about this uh, in our last. Oh, sorry. Our previous Wednesday here. Yeah, I do have dark, uh, dark horse. I do have DJ Chark as my dark horse, top 10 wide receiver finisher this season. Uh, again, I do think, and I'll say this again, I do think that the Jags do have a sneaky good offense. They do have a lot of great weapons around the Gardner Minshew train here. Um, and DJ Chark is a, he's just a premier alpha receiver for, for, for all the characteristics that you're looking for, right? So he's six, three, He's about 200 pounds or 6'4, 200 pounds. He runs a four, three speed. Um, and the significant jump that he had from his 2018 campaign to 2019 tells me that he's, he's becoming a fundamentally sound receiver, right? And so things like looking at things like his drops, right? His rookie season, he had five drops last season. He had zero, which is like, it's extremely difficult to have that type of stat line in the NFL. Other uh, otherwise like, or, or, or without having put in the work that someone has put in. So one of the things that we had talked about on the episode, um, that we covered the DJ Chark scenario and Josh thought he was going to come at me and be smart about this because I said (laughs) pending Jay Gruden doesn't get fired for his shenanigans down in Washington, right? Pending that doesn't happen and pending. He just, you know, redirects what's happening and just he stays the offensive coordinator. Uh, he has a history of breeding top wide receivers in the NFL. So Josh was like, yeah, but who did he breed in, you know, Washington? And obviously Terry McLaurin, you know, was good, but he wasn't, you know, wasn't an alpha. But my response to him was the last time Jay Gruden was an offensive coordinator was when he had AJ Green on the Cincinnati Bengals and AJ Green. Well, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to go into that, but everybody knows AJ Green was an absolute animal. Like, you know, became AJ Green. That's what, that's what Jay Gruden had. And AJ Green reminds me a lot of, D.J. Chark and his his abilities and his talents so it is a bit of a gut call because he does have he is very volatile but I do think that the offensive production um with a consistent quarterback this season helps D.J. Chark helps the entire offense uh and I do think he sees a lot of good return this season
1: I like that and and, you know this Jaguars offense is gonna have to be chucking it quite a bit I know that there's the Minshew magic um and they're gonna ride Fournette, I'm sure plenty but um we saw the inefficiencies around the goal line last year, so we could see Minshew scrambling and making plays, um, a la Russell Wilson, if you will, um, and able to make plays. And I think DJ Chark is going to be his first read, and he's a strong receiver. I like that call a lot. Um, I just, again, I need to see it for a full season again uh, sure. before I fully commit rankings-wise and drafting-wise. But even with – I'm I'm pretty – I'm closer to kind of ADP right now. And so with him at 21, you're able to get DJ Chark in like the fifth, sixth yeah. round. That's yeah. stupid, dude. Could be because a steal. It, he Yeah, yeah. Because if you're if you're right, even if he's a, a wide receiver too, but so, let's say top fifteen, right? I mean, you're still getting a high quality floor player with big boom upside every single week in an offense that should be kind of sneaky high powered, if you will, from what we're used to seeing the Jags being, and also this defense, dude, is was one of the best defenses we've ever seen in like three years ago, they are decimated. Everybody's gone. They're going to be getting boat raced every, every uh, game. They're looking at the number one pick potentially in 2021. I think they're just going to be chucking it, dude. It's going to be fun and gun. And I think the DJ chart could be a huge recipient of it. I just need to see it personally before I commit. But if I were to end up having him as my wide receiver, three uh, or four, even by the time I draft him, dude, that is one of the best values I think in the middle rounds for
0: sure. Yeah, and that's what yeah, that's why and that's why I love DJ Shark, right? I just think his value right now is so like not not so low, but like you can get him at a discount and he could put Mm -hmm. he could be like this year's like or last year's Cooper Cup Julian Edelman. Like you got those guys super late. Like they, Mm -hmm. you know, Cooper Cup ended up performing as a top ten wide receiver, and you got him as the third wide receiver on the freaking Rams. So Mm -hmm. you know, that's what you're looking at.
1: And you you need to have those stable, you need to have those stable guys. So, all right, man, we got about 15 minutes of the program already left. Why don't we keep these to about two minutes apiece and blaze through them? Next up, Jarvis Landry, you've got him at 23. I've got him all the way down to 30.
0: Yeah, so, so Jarvis Landry was a guy that we collectively just feel like he's just very consistent. Uh, he's, you know, as far as a wide receiver, two borderline, three goes. I mean, he averages about 90 receptions, a thousand yards and six or seven touchdowns every season. And he really doesn't get hurt all that often. And if he does, he still plays through it and is still relatively productive. Um, reminds us a lot of sort of the Juju scenario uh, adjacent Antonio Brown on the Steelers with OBJ. So, yeah, as far as sort of a quick synopsis, I just think he's the epitome of consistency on a team that should get better on offense this season. Mike,
1: my, my question is is his injury. I mean, it sounds like it came back out. He was fine. He was fine. He was fine. He was fine. Oh, yeah. actually, he's not fine. I'm concerned about that. Core issues, you sure. know, if it leads to anything else in his back or his hips or whatever. A guy like him who needs to get separation and break over the middle, I'm, I'm concerned about. Uh, so that. I'm, I'm going to fade Landry a little bit. Although I love him previously, he always outproduces his ADP. So respect to the man. However, sure. this particular year with this situation with the injury, I'm concerned about. I'm going to dive into Devontae Parker. And let's actually wrap in Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, who we both love as well, right into this here. So Devontae Parker, I have him at 24 You've got him at 31. I've got Preston Williams at 29. You've got him at 33. So I'm higher on both guys, but we're both still in that kind of like high-end wide receiver three range. So I would rather have Preston Williams at ADP because you get him like six rounds later than Devontae Parker. However, as long as Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the starting quarterback, which he is to start the season at least – Devontae Parker, I think it's a great grab right now. Again, in that DJ Chark realm where you can grab him, Lockett, Sutton, some of these guys, gallop. you can grab these guys in like the sixth, seventh round. It's ridiculous. They have wide receiver one upside. They have wide receiver two floors every single week, and you're getting him in the sixth, seventh round. I love it. He finished as the wide receiver seven last year overall, obliterating all of his previous career highs. He's going to be just fine. I'll jump into to uh, Preston Williams and I'll give you a couple seconds to, to chat about these guys. Preston Williams, though, on the other hand, in my opinion, may end up being the better receiver if they both stay healthy for a full 16. He didn't even get full work until week three last year, and he tore his ACL in week nine. So basically in six games, he led Devontae Parker when they played together in targets 60 to 52, receptions 32 to 28, and yards 428 to 400. Parker did have one more touchdown, and they were both back-to-back, wide receiver 36 and 37 in PPR. But – He's an undrafted free agent. Dude came out of the gate crushing. Again, basically played only five, arguably six full games, and he outpaced Devontae Parker, who ended up yep. being the best receiver down the stretch last year. So the talents there, Albert Wilson and Allen Hearns have both opted out due to COVID. I mean, this Negative offense is game wide scripts. open. Oh, yep. dude. And 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 fits, fits Magic, like, he- dude's he fits good at magic. magic 45 times a game. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love it. And, and even if two was healthy, he will come in and has to do the same thing, right? Because Jordan Howard and Matt Breeder are going to be fun, but I don't think the, the they're not going to be able to count on the run game with a negative game script. So I like both these receivers. I would like to rather have Preston Williams at the current ADP, maybe 30 seconds or less. How do you feel about the Dolphins receivers?
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with you on all fronts. I would rather, and to be fair, to your point, I would also rather have Preston Williams at the ADP rather than Devontae Parker. The thing that makes me nervous about Devontae Parker was that his breakout was literally last year. So, and Mm -hmm. he's like an older guy. Like, you know, if everyone's like, oh, like, you know, where did this Devontae Parker come from? Well, that's the thing. He's been around for a long time, so... He just hasn't made any noise, whereas Preston Williams is a younger receiver. Hopefully that these early injuries doesn't plague him throughout his career. Um, And so, again, kind of touch and go, draft him with confidence at his ADP. But I will say, uh, you know, if he starts to get hurt, you know, you could be looking at a scenario where, mm, you know, you have a good receiver, but just gets hurt a lot. So maybe next year it looks a little different. But no, I agree with you. I think this year Preston Williams uh, over – Devontae Parker but both are nice I just think that offense is going to have a lot of ne- a lot of negative game uh, regression scripts like uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jack got it
1: you got two guys back to back here you've got Stefan Diggs and Brandon Cooks let's go with Diggs at 24 for you and Cooks at 27 I've got both guys faded significantly I've got mm. Diggs at 31 and I've got Cooks all the way down at 36 so give me uh give me Diggs and Cooks back to back maybe a minute apiece.
0: Yeah. So the Dick situation, uh, it's a combination of a lot of things, I think. All right. So l- let's just start here. Even, even with like sort of a dysfunctional situation in Minnesota last year, the dude still put up 1100 yards on 63 receptions, which is like, this is crazy. That type of stat line, only six touchdowns. He had a good season while being a disgruntled employee for the Minnesota Vikings. Right. <laughs> So when you look at when you look at him getting the change he wanted and moving to an offense, it's going to be pretty good, right? I think Josh Allen will be able to uh, I think the Josh Allen arm strength mixed with the Stefan Diggs speed and route running will actually play into the Stephen Diggs favor. John Brown is an older version of Stefan Diggs, and he ended up in the top 20 last year. So I just see a scenario very similar to that, and I just think Diggs. Becomes digs and, and just continues to get that 1100 plus yards. And I think we'll probably get a couple more touchdowns. Uh, and then cooks again, similar scenario, I think to Diggs in that, like, I think the strengths that Deshaun Watson has plays into Cooks's uh wheelhouse. And of course you saw the new Hopkins volume go right out the door. So cooks will step into that role and he's capable of doing it. Um, it's just going to be a scenario of whether or not he can stay healthy. So that's pretty much it for me.
1: I, yeah, my concerns with Diggs or Josh Allen and also not having that rapport. That's just what it is. There's also two sure other enough, guys yeah. that had Beasley and, and Brown each had 100 targets last year. Uh, yep. Dawson Knox should to get a tick up. And there's also Singletary who's going to get some work out of the backfield as well. And Zach Moss can catch the ball too. So sure. I just don't think the volume is going to be there. He will have big plays. I love him in best ball. I'll fade him otherwise. Cooks, again, rapport first and foremost. Um, but also he's one concussion away from probably ending his career, not to mention other injuries. So I'm just worried about that, and I'm going to take another stab on Will Fuller potentially in that Texans offense. But honestly, I'll probably not take – either one of those guys. I'm going to get into AJ green here really quick. And this just comes down to obviously the injuries are, are concerned. I'm going to try to put that away just for a little bit. I, we can't avoid it. I know I listened to a great uh, podcast with uh, Edwin when he came on earlier in the summer, um, who was basically like, don't draft AJ green, dude. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. He's getting drafted in like the eighth round, dude. <laughs> Like right. There's so many other receivers down here that you're going to throw a dart throw at anyway that have question marks. And we know that A.J. Green, if he hadn't been injured the last three years, is probably a, a, a surefire Hall of Famer, in my opinion, yeah. in talent and playing with a horrendous team his entire career. He's arguably got the best quarterback already of his career in Joe Burrow, who hasn't even thrown him an official pass. I like it a lot, um, man. I think he's going to be just fine. He should be a top 12 receiver if he's going if he's healthy. If nothing else, he's a wide receiver too. You're basically getting him for free with what he's able to do. I've got all sorts of stats, but we're running out of time. So I'm just going to give a vouch really quick for AJ Green, who we've got it. I've got at 28. You've got to just have him at 37. And look, yeah. I get it. I get it. But if you like the Dalvin Cook argument from last year, if you take injuries away, what could you possibly say negative other than a rookie quarterback? I get it. Joe Burrow's not your average rookie quarterback. I think he's going to be fine. What can you say negatively about AJ Green? So I'm going to take a couple stabs on him just in case. And look, if he bails or he gets hurt in week three and I have to drop him, I'm going to eat that. But I think it's worth the risk with the other guys who are around him. Why don't you dive into uh, T.Y. Hilton, man? I went in pretty hard on T.Y. Hilton on your podcast when we were talking about big names with not as big value. So I've kind of made my case against T.Y. Hilton. To your listeners, why don't you maybe make the case – for him I guess I mean you've got him at 30 I've got him at 35
0: I'm not yeah yeah so I'm not going to take the bullet here from my team I definitely had T.Y. Hilton outside of my top 40 this year uh, outside I of just, 40 wow yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just I just think that there are better receivers with better scenarios overall our team has uh, I think our team is thinking of it similarly to the to your A.J. Green point of A.J. Green of old T.Y. again it's kind of a combination of this right it's the AJ green of old scenario that you just mentioned. And also to your other point about how wide receivers aren't necessarily old at the age of 31 T Y Hilton or 30, right? So T Y Hilton, I think that that's where they're, that's where they're coming from. He's, he's a great receiver. I mean, you heard Andrew Luck's retirement press conference and he left T Y for last and how great of a receiver he is and how fun it is to throw him the ball. And he's just got, you know, smooth and all this stuff. So you can't discount any of those scenarios and those characteristics as a receiver in general. Um, could happen you know he could he could end up in the top 30 scenario because you know again philip rivers knows how to chuck the ball and he had keenan allen for years and now he's potentially got a healthy fully healthy ty hilton that's the best i got for him (laughs)
1: <laughs> Fair enough We'll have to have yeah. the rest of the commission crew on to defend Tym yeah. a little bit more Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about it Rapport with Philip Rivers But also I just I'm not confident in either one of those guys And I love misa Michael Pittman That's what it comes down to yep. All right, man We got to get out of here But I do want us to both mention a few more names That we're not going to get super deep into But there's a couple names down here That only I have ranked in my top 40 Or only you have ranked in your top 40 And sure. I wanted to kind of give 30 seconds for each of these guys So I'll go first And I'll let you wrap it up So I've got Will Fuller at number 33. You guys have him outside of your top 40. Now, again, I get it. Injuries, totally understand. But they're bringing in Brandon Cooks, who doesn't have yet the rapport with Watson. They have a new running back in David Johnson. Duke Johnson's not going to take up that much work, right? So I think there's great efficiency. He just needs to stay healthy. He's missed 22 games in his NFL career, which means he's only played 65%. He's definitely the most risky wide receiver, in my opinion, in the entire draft over um, A.J. Green, But I'm going to take, again, a couple shots on him at his ADP. Like, why not? He's basically free. So I want to throw a nod quick to um, Will Fuller. Justin Jefferson. I've got Justin Jefferson at 39. And Diggs averaged, as you mentioned last year, about eight catches per game, 68 yards, and about a half a touchdown per game over the last four seasons with the Vikings. He had 94 targets, 1,100 yards, and six touchdowns last year. I could see Jefferson pulling about 80 targets, 50 receptions, 800 yards, and five touchdowns. That would be good for roughly wide receiver 42 in PPR last year. So I think those numbers are actually modest as he's the true number two behind Thielen. You mentioned earlier that Thielen could have a hiccup with that hamstring. If he does, there's nobody. Olabisi, Johnson, and who else? There's mm-hmm. nobody behind Jefferson if Thielen actually gets hurt and they have to pepper him with targets, which I think they might already. Jefferson could be one of the steals of the draft. I truly believe that, coming in, getting work right away at 39. The other one, popular name, Deontay Johnson. A lot of people have him way higher than this even. Um, led yeah. all rookies with 59 receptions. He had 92 targets last year without Big Ben. Juju was number eight in 2000. 2000- um, 18 as the number two behind uh, AB. So we've seen that Big Ben can definitely support two guys. Deontay Johnson, Jefferson, and Fuller are some middle to late later round wide receivers that I'm I'm looking to just grab a couple flyers on because I think they all have huge upside, decent floors. And if they don't work out, it's not a huge draft capital. I can move on for them. So you sure. have two other names here, man. I'd like you to dive in for about a minute or two, and then we'll get out of here. So you have uh, Darius Slayton, and at 36, I have him outside on my 40 and Anthony Miller at number 40. I've got him outside of my 40 at number
0: 50. Yeah. So the Darius Slayton pick, um, I'll, I'll try to make this quick, uh, so so we did an episode uh, a couple of months back. I think it was probably some, sometime in March. And we talked about early sophomore wide receiver predictions, right? And so one of the things we broke down on that episode was what, when wide receivers actually will break out. And when, I, when we say break out, the breakout terminology is when they hit the wide receiver 40 mark in a particular season uh, in terms of finishes. And there were like, I think there were like five or six uh, wide receivers who were rookies who did it this year. And Darius Slayton was one of them. So he's already sort of done the breakout thing in his rookie season, which is extremely difficult to do. I'll put into context: Will Fuller hasn't even done it yet. So, and it's going to get even harder for Will Fuller to actually jump into the top forty, finish right. He's a great flex play, to your point, but Will Fuller hasn't finished the season and had the top forty. I digress. Point is, Darius Slayton has done it, um, and so you got to think that he's that prototypical. Again, long wide receiver, lengthy strides, fundamentally sound, drops were a concern in college but are no longer a uh, concern anymore. And because of the Saquon Barkley element, that you know, he has the ability to stretch the field and make big plays. The other guy that I'll go into, I think we talked about it, is Anthony Miller of the Chicago Bears. Uh, so basically with Anthony Miller, um, this is, again, purely off of scenario. No more Taylor Gabriel inside the slot, which is where Anthony Miller excelled last season uh, with the Chicago Bears. And so and they, the Bears have not signed Taylor Gabriel as of yet. He's still a free agent. His snap shares at the end of the season, Anthony, Anthony Miller went from 89% to 94% to 100% from weeks 14 to 16. And he actually just balled out in those, in those games that he actually did play fully. So I see that being a consistency, again, similar to that Jarvis Landry role, Uh, with OBJ. I think Anthony Miller has a nice season with uh, opposite Allen Robinson with hopefully a consistent quarterback scenario, but that's the only downside there.
1: Awesome, man. Great. We got to get out of here. That's the end of today's episode, man. That's 40 wide receivers, make sure to go check out Commish's website, check out our tckpod.com, check out all of our pages, and give us a like, a follow, and a subscribe everywhere you can. Hit the Landry Football heart here below us. Make sure you catch us Monday through Thursday, 6 to 7 Eastern, every single day. Chris Benavides from the Commish FFP, always a pleasure. He'll be back every single Wednesday. We're excited to have that frequency with you, brother. Appreciate you joining us. Make sure to grab all of our channels. Thank you very much, and catch us every Monday through Thursday on twitch.tv slash Chris Landry football and find all of the Landry football networks at landryfootball.com. For Chris Benavides and the Commish Fantasy Football Podcast crew, I'm Sky Guasco with the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast, and we are out of here.